my name is Rodrigo Rodriguez. I'm a community organizer at the Southwest Organizing Project. Uh, I specifically run a campaign called Project Feed the Hood. It's a food justice and food sovereignty campaign that we started in 2009. About 2005, I started as a youth intern with Southwest Organizing Project, uh, working on youth rights issue campaigns. Uh, so we started here in 2009 at this community garden. So Joaquin and Swap reached out to us and, and to see if we would be interested in helping to um, design and build a community garden. And so our thing was really like looking at this neighborhood, looking at Albuquerque and looking at the state, how New Mexico is top five consistently in childhood hunger, childhood poverty, um, all these kind of social indicators of poverty in New Mexico. And so we kind of wanted to flip that and, and talk about this really rich, beautiful agricultural tradition that we have here in New Mexico, um, you know, in the Chicano community and in the indigenous communities. It wasn't that long ago that folks had a really deep relationship with the food that they were eating. Um, and in a lot of pockets around the state, we still have those relationships. Um, but for the most part, folks, especially here in the, in the urban setting in the southeast heights of Albuquerque, which for, for all intents and purposes, the most urban center of New Mexico. You know, when we look at real urban centers, it's not quite as dense as other places. Um, but this is urban New Mexico here in the southeast heights of Albuquerque. It's the most dense living situation uh, population-wise. It's also home to some of the most dense food deserts. So in a given food desert, there's more people living in these areas than in other parts. Um, it's also home to a huge Native American population, one of the biggest urban Indian populations in the country. There's a lot of traditional communities around here um, that are traditionally very diverse. African American communities, a lot of immigrant folks, uh, a lot of multi-family domiciles, right? Which means a lot of folks, multiple families living in one home. So we started Feed the Hood kind of very intentionally working with City Councilman Ray Garduño, who was the City Council President uh, at this last year when he retired to get this space. Um, so technically these lots, there's a series of empty lots all the, going all the way up to Gibson. These lots are all owned by the Albuquerque Aviation Department. There's the airport and the base, and then there's the golf course uh, that kind of border our garden. And it's important to note that, the, that these lots are undeveloped uh, because they're what they technically refer to as a uh, an emergency landing zone. So if anything ever happens and they need to crash a plane, they're gonna crash them here on these lots in the golf course. So none of this area can ever really be developed because the runways for the airport are right there. And then attached to that is the, the military base. So that's also part of the legacy of this part of town um, is the connection to Kirtland Air Force Base and also to the, especially I should say, to the uh, jet fuel spill that they found out about in the 70s and they're just getting around to cleaning up now um, even though that's a process that's moving very slowly and they haven't actually pulled any particulate matter out of the ground uh, so that's that also kind of frames our reference point here in this in this community when we talk about food justice and food access um, so for us this is this is reclaimed territory this is uh liberated this is a liberated area we have a, a relationship with the city and the aviation department to manage this garden and basically um, the agreement is that we're not allowed to actually sell any of this food to benefit our project to benefit our, our nonprofit organization 
Um, and we wouldn't actually want to sell any of this food that comes out of this garden anyways. Everything that comes in, everything that comes out of this garden goes out into the community. It goes to the people that are working in the garden. It goes to the families and to the kids who are coming out every day and helping us out. Uh, so our mentor has a, a dicho that he likes to say, el quien pone saca, which means whoever puts in gets to take out. So that's kind of one of the philosophies we use um, when we when we run this this particular project. But we've also we've kind of expanded over the years. We have uh, multiple school gardens. This year we have uh, six schools that we're working at. Most of them here in the Southeast Heights, um, middle schools, elementaries, and high schools, doing kind of culturally based food education. You know, as New Mexicans, as Chicanos, as Indigenous people. Uh, reconnecting our young people, reconnecting our communities and our families to these traditional food systems, to traditional life ways, rebuilding some of that cultural knowledge or re-engaging with it. Because um, what we see is a lot of folks still have those connections. They still remember growing up, grandma's farm, you know, or dad had tomatoes growing in the back. Folks still have those relationships. So for us, it's a lot of tapping into that knowledge that's already in the community. Because at the end of the day, we're trying to build power in these communities so that people can take agency, take ownership over these systems that exist. You know, the food system, like any other system, uh, didn't happen by accident. You know, it's a really, when you look at the food system nationally, globally, but especially here in New Mexico, where we're supposed to be an agricultural state, we're an agricultural industry that's making billions of dollars and we have the most hungry kids in the country. How do we change that system so that it actually reflects the visions and values that we hold as communities? A lot of folks don't even realize that there's a problem, right? New Mexico has the, all these health indicators, diabetes, childhood diabetes, childhood obesity, uh, hypertension, heart disease, all these dietary diseases that are 100% preventable. You know, a lot of this comes back to diet and lifestyle. And a lot of the diet and the lifestyle, um, especially in indigenous communities, Chicano communities, people of color communities, uh, is, is done almost by design. And you could make the argument that it's done very intentionally by design. Um, when you look at things like the commodity food program that was created to to stamp out hunger, right? Because to, to, they, after they removed people from their traditional lands and put them on reservations, they figured out, well, these people can't provide their own food anymore and they're starving to death. Same thing happened all over the Southwest. You know, as they removed people from their traditional lifeways, their traditional lands, and said, no, you can't graze your sheep up in the mountains anymore because the mountains belong to the state forestry department or whatever. You know, people lost that connection. They weren't allowed to go into the mountains and graze their sheep anymore. They weren't allowed to forage for food like they were before, to go hunting and fishing, you know, because you have to pay licensing fees and these different things. So, you know, we, then we get into these, get put into these cities where the only grocery store within a couple of miles is the Walmart. So that's what we see in this community, especially, is they're kind of in a pocket where they don't have reliable bus services. They don't have like a, a grocery store that has good quality food around here that's affordable because a lot of it is conditional. A lot of it is about the place that you're living, the job that you have or the multiple jobs that you have and how it's easier to feed kids because cheeseburgers only cost a dollar, you know? Lettuce sometimes is four or five dollars a pound for good organic lettuce. 
So for us, it's really about how we build power to challenge those, those systems, you know, and then also create alternatives, right? So how do we look at traditional economies that worked for people instead of worked for profit? You know, when I look at all these empty lots, it's like, how do we get the city to not only give these lots to people that are want to be growing food on them, but for the city to create infrastructure, for the people to create infrastructure that works to turn these empty lots into food forests that feed the people in these neighborhoods, you know, or that work to create like food hubs where folks can go and they can work for a cooperative or they can, and maybe they, they're not getting a wage, but they're, they're working for the food that they're, that they're taking home, you know, where we can have like real nutrition education that's culturally significant for folks that teaches you about like what we consider like a decolonized diet, right? Because the reality is so much of the food that we eat isn't good for us. It's tr not traditionally like foods that we ate. So when we look at things like fry bread, flour tortillas, like those are delicious, but they're not necessarily healthy for you because wheat wasn't a staple crop for people in the Americas. Corn was our staple crop, was our staple grain, you know? So we look at like this diabetes epidemic in tribal lands, like a lot of it comes back to the food that we're eating. Because a lot of that food was, was, was forced on us. Like, fry bread came from the commodities program, you know? Like, we have a fundamental idea that food is a human right. Like, just straight out the get, you know? Everybody should have access to food, to good quality, healthy food, right? Along with clean water, clean air, a place to live, like, Food to us fundamentally is a human right. It's not like a privilege. It's not this thing that we should be having to fight for access to. You know, our government and our, our societal structures should be focused in such a way that food is provided for every single person.